Hello and welcome to a brand new series of my nostalgia podcasts. This is Jack's Throwback Attack. Now, if you watched both CBBC and CITV back in the 1990s, then you'll have definitely seen this man on your screens. It's Simeon Corti. Hello. Hello, Jack. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Yourself? Very well, thanks. This is a rare treat for me to go back in time and talk about children's telly in the 90s. What a time to be alive. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So the first thing I've got to ask is, was doing children's television and broadcasting the career that you aspired to do from a young age? I actually left school at 16 and became a mechanical engineer. So the idea of being a broadcaster wasn't really in my head at all. I just wanted to leave school as soon as possible and get a job and buy a motorbike. I was such a kind of typical boy, really. Um, so I didn't even do A-levels. I just I just went went and sort of learned a trade. Um, but while I was doing that and building printing presses, I really didn't enjoy the work. I hated it, actually. And I thought I've made a huge mistake here. And at that time, I started to just as a hobby, get into hospital radio. And so it was when I was 17, I went up to my local hospital hospital in Kettering in Northamptonshire and uh, got into hospital radio. And it was doing that that led me to kind of become a broadcaster. My ambition was actually to be on Radio 1, Jack. I, I, I was convinced I was going to be a Radio 1 DJ by the time I was 25. I kind of set myself that target. And then I got distracted by the bright lights of television. So I think I was about 22 or 23 years old when I, I, I got my first break on The Ozone on, uh, on Children's BBC, which was a pop show on Sunday mornings. Wow, that's quite a young age to be flung into the world of television. And with presenting the Ozone, I imagine you met some really interesting pop acts of the time. <laughs> I, did, I did. I had some really, really funny jobs. I, I met lots of boy bands, so boy bands that most people today have not heard of, but your readers and your listeners might have done. People like Worlds Apart and EYC who were around in the 90s. The, the legends that I that I met included people like Tom Jones, so my mum was very pleased with that. But, you know, the one that resonates right the way through to today and is still very cool with my own children is Damon Albarn. So I met Damon several times. And my, my the story that always makes my, my, my daughters giddy with excitement is that I met him so many times through my work that I lived in Notting Hill at the time, and, and so did he, lived in Labrook Grove. And one morning I was walking to my tube station to go into Children's BBC, and he walked past me on the pavement in Notting Hill. And he said, morning, Sim, to me. And that, uh, that, that was the moment I knew I'd made it. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I quite like Blur and I quite like the Gorillas, so I, even I think that's cool. Thank you. It is cool, isn't it? I don't think he know who I was now, but <laughs> I actually saw the Gorillas live in Japan last year. And I loved it. But there was a part of me that was kind of waving, going, Damon, it's me. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the stars. Yeah. And um, so moving on from the Ozone, you presented the uh, the, the continuity on CBBC um, alongside Otis the Aardvark, didn't you? Oh, yeah. And, you know, what a treat. I, so presenters were teamed up with um, a, a helper. So, you, you know, you, had, you it all started with Philip in the, the gopher and then you had Ed the Duck with 
with with with Andy, Andy um, both Crane and Peters, uh, Simon Parkin, and and after that it sort of evolved and and to become Otis. I wasn't the first to be with Otis. Otis started with Toby Anstis and then lasted beyond my time in fact so dick and dom and kirsten o'brien both worked with otis as well so you know he wasn't my sidekick i was his you know otis was the real star of the show i I was just there to try and keep control definitely from what from what i remember with my own memories otis the aardvark it was it was always chaotic Ah, oh, so fun, honestly. The, the the relationship that I had with Otis was honestly one of the best, best relationships of my working career. We had such a similar sense of humour. And I'm still in touch with him, you'll be pleased to know. So, um, yeah, me and Otis, we still, we still uh, catch up from time to time. We text each other all the time. He's a great film buff, and, and so am I. Uh, one of his favourite films is With Nail and I. So I was watching With Nail with one of my daughters a, a few weeks ago and, and we were, I was quote sort of texting Otis and he was texting back all his favorite bits and stuff. So you'd be pleased to know that Otis is, is still very, very well. That's always great to hear. And I do recall that you were re- reunited a few years ago for the 30th anniversary of CBBC. Oh man, have you, have you seen the video that we recorded? Have you seen that? Yeah, I think I have. I do remember watching the programme actually. I actually made a point of going home and watching it, even though oh. I'm far too old for children's television now. But anything to do with nostalgia, I have to go home and watch it. It was so much fun to get everyone back together for the for the anniversary. Yeah, that was in, I think, like 2015. Yeah, I think it was 2015. Um, Listen, I don't, I don't think the program is available anymore, but I would urge your readers and your listeners to, if you Google my name, Simeon Corti and Otis, somewhere on YouTube, there is a video that we recorded in my radio studio the day before we went to the reunion up in Salford. And what's so funny about this video is Otis had just turned up and the record was playing on my radio show. And so we had like three minutes and I said, let's just do a really quick like promo video. And my producer just got her phone out and just started recording. And with no rehearsal, we just made it up. And it was like 20 years just disappeared. We were it was so funny how the two of us just dropped straight back into like the old routines, like he's he's being distracted and I'm trying to keep him on message and all that. And it was such a joy to just kind of have all of those years melt away. And you can see it in us. We're both enjoying it so much. So find that little, it's only like a minute long, but it's just such a funny little video. Definitely it is, yes. And what was it like working in the world famous BBC Television Centre? I've got to know this. Oh, man. Yeah, I was so lucky. And like all of these things, Jack, you never realise how lucky you are at the time. Now I look back on it and I I think, man, how lucky I was. It was brilliant. It was everything that you would imagine it to be. I had grown up watching children's TV come from that building. So every time Blue Peter had done something outdoors, you know, you see it. You used to see the donut, the round building. Every time going live which was the precursor to live and kicking did anything kind of outdoors you saw the building so when i first got to go there as a children's bbc presenter it was so nerve-wracking because i was seeing this building and it was just like part of my my childhood and i was actually there but then of course 
every day I was there. So you just get blasé about it. And you just kind of you just kind of get to know the building and you get to know where your favorite tea bar is and you're bumping into weathermen and newsreaders and comedians. I got in the lift with Lenny Henry one day and just made that mistake of thinking uh, he knew me and I knew him. You know, when you when you see someone famous and you, you know them really well off the TV, you just go, oh, hello. <laughs> and then you go, oh, you don't know who I am. I used to do that all the time around the BBC. It was everything that you would imagine it to be, just a hub of the greatest TV talent at the time. It was such a joy. And now it's it's a posh apartment block. I can't even afford to get through the gate now. <laughs> <laughs> it is a shame. I did actually go and uh, visit it on two occasions, like the tours that they did, and just a fantastic, vast building. And you just think how much television history was produced in that building. I mean, it's amazing. If the walls could talk. Oh, they? yeah. And and not just the, the... I mean, the building is so iconic, but it was a constantly changing team of cameramen and directors and sound men. And, so it didn't have a dedicated crew. It was just on a constant rotor of people. And you'd every day you'd be meeting people who, you know, you'd talk about a programme and mention Faulty Towers or something, and, you know, the, the cameraman would go, oh, yeah, I was on that. Oh, let, t- let me tell you about John Cleese. And they'd tell you these stories like everyone who worked there had had a history on those iconic shows. So it was just it was like kind of a living museum for anyone who loves TV and radio. It's like it was like a, an anorak's dream. It definitely is. And um, when you were presenting, um, was there any funny moments or any accidents that happened? Oh, all the time. In fact, my favourite my favorite moments were when things went wrong. The joy of being allowed to be on live television. It, it's such a rare thing. You know, most TV back then was recorded. And to be allowed to be on screen with no safety net was such a joy and such a privilege so when things go wrong that's your time to shine that's that's when you really start to prove your worth and and have some fun so the the things I remember were when they came back to me in continuity because a fire alarm had gone off in the um, in the news round studio so I'd hand it to news round which was an eight minute show one minute in we just got this panic, panic, panic. All the voices coming through in the gallery saying, coming back to you, Prez, coming back to you in three, two, one. And then the cameras was live and I was sitting there. I've never seen Otis move so fast. <laughs> I just had to fill. I had no content at all. And my, my producer was kind of rushing into the studio to, to hand me letters and emails and just some content. But they're the fun times, you know, when things go wrong. That's actually when the viewers sit up and start enjoying it. I loved that. Yeah, it is always funny. And it's always a good test as well of of your ability, really, with presenting. I I heard a tip years ago that a friend of mine gave me. It dates back to my time in radio that they met a newsreader once at the BBC. And the newsreader, I can't remember who it was, but it was some ancient kind of legend from back in the 80s said they always had a book under the desk that the viewers couldn't see. And when this friend of mine asked why, they said, well, you just never know when things might go so wrong that you need to have something to talk about. So at the very least, I could say, I'm reading this fantastic book at the moment. (laughs) I could start doing a little book review. Can you imagine if that happened? (laughs) On children's BBC, yeah. (laughs) 
I've never seen anything like that happen. But the message clearly stuck in my head because it's really, really true that you if you're going into anything that's like a live scenario like that, it's good to have something in your head or something that you can reach for that you can talk about that is is, is going to buy you some time. And uh, so I always kind of had there was always something I could talk about. You get quite relaxed with it in the end. But what you definitely don't want to have is that, you know, rabbit in the headlights moment where you're on live TV and you literally have a blank space between your ears. That would be bad. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. You saw a lot of shows during your time doing continuity. Any of them stick out as a favourite? Oh, yeah. You know, it's really funny because now you see on Twitter people talk about Rugrats or you know, Tracy Beaker and stuff like that. And I remember all of those shows. I'll tell you a couple that were really big when I was there that people of the right age remember, but no one else does. One is the Queen's Nose. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? Yeah, with the 50p. A a 50p coin or something. And when she rubbed it, some magic happened. Did she stop time or go back in time? Something happened. Do you remember that? I remember the show. I can't remember a specific episode, but I I do know what you're on about because it ran for quite a long time. And then when it finished, they repeated it for at least another good five or six years afterwards. So... It's one of those shows that crops up on Facebook a lot on a lot of those pages that say, do you remember this program? And the other one that I love, my favourite show, as you ask, is another one that didn't run for long, but people who remember it loved it, was Maid Marian and Her Merry Men. It was Tony Robinson who had been Baldrick in Blackadder and now is kind of Mr. Time Team and all of that. It was It was basically his idea. It was his baby. And it was just kind of a jokey version of Robin Hood. But the jokes were really funny because there was a lot of adult humor in there, even though it was a kid's show, which is always a winner when you're kind of hitting the audience on two levels. So that was my favorite show. But it got axed. It got canceled. And years later, I met Tony Robinson and I kind of told him about how how I I loved that show. And years later, he was still cross about it. He was so miffed that the BBC dropped it because they had plans for further stories and things. But... You know, that's the harsh world of TV. If the controller wants to move on, that's the end of that show. It is a shame. Um, I was actually thinking what was my favourite CBBC programme from the 90s, and it was quite hard to really think of, like, one, because there's a few, but I'd say it would have to be Bodger and Badger. Oh, yeah. Bodger and Badger, legendary show. Andy, Andy Cunningham. I remember him coming into the studio a couple of times just to promote the show when there was a new series. He was such a gentle man. You know, he kind of played this sort of slightly cross, kind of anarchic kind of figure trying to deal with this completely insane badger on his arm in the show. But when you met him, he was just so, so soft and so gentle and so patient. He was just one of those guys that whenever he was around and whenever he was coming in, everyone would just be kind of like, oh, great. Bodger's coming in. We love him so much. It was so sad when he died last year. But yeah, that was that was an iconic show of its time. Definitely one of my favourites, and like you say, a, a great shame that he uh, passed away. Um, so after a, a little while doing CBBC, you jumped ship to CITV. I mean, why did you do this? Oh yeah, that to do Wow on ITV. Well, basically, it was because I had been doing children's BBC continuity for about eighteen months by that stage. And I've got really itchy feet. I always, always have done and still do. So I'm constantly kind of moving on to the next thing. And once I feel like I've kind of nailed something and I I can do it, I, I I get a bit bored and want to try something new. And 
much as I loved children's BBC, you are restricted in time. You know, the longest link you'll ever do on there is three minutes, if you're lucky. Most of the links are kind of 20 seconds or 30 seconds. And I wanted to do something bigger. And the obvious next step is Saturday morning telly when you're doing that sort of gig. And so live and kicking was the obvious route, but it was it was full of Andy Peters when I was there. And then when Andy Peters was moving, there was this weird summer where they were looking at who was going to be the next male presenter on Live and Kicking. And I was one of the contenders for that role. While that was sort of in the mix and nothing had been decided, I was approached by ITV to front this new Saturday morning show they wanted to do that was going to be live and it was going to be against live and kicking and it was going to be a nice kind of like a battle of the channels. So I went and met them and I was interested, but I wasn't committed because I really wanted to do live and kicking out of the two because I was a BBC boy. Uh, but at that time, Rick Adams, I don't know if you remember him, Rick Adams. Was yeah, a, a, yeah, I do remember presenter. him. He was a presenter of, of a show, like a computer games show that was on Children's BBC. And he was the absolute favourite to do Live and Kicking. Now, I had this the inside track from like the producers on the show, from Andy Peters' agent, who I knew. Um, so I was getting all this kind of inside knowledge. So I thought, you know what? If it's Rick's gig, it's Rick's gig. ITV are pushing me for a decision. So I made the commitment to move to ITV because I wasn't going to get I wasn't going to get live and kicking after I'd made that commitment. And we're, we're quite late into the summer here. We're kind of mid July time, maybe even August. They did um, an audition with with Rick and he it didn't work at all. The What I heard, I didn't see the audition, was that Rick didn't enjoy it. The chemistry between Rick and Zoe wasn't great. Zoe was already confirmed on the show. And there was this last minute kind of panic at Live and Kicking. Who are we going to get alongside Zoe on the new format? So there were a string of auditions. So um, Tim from Blue Peter was one of the strongest contenders. I think Stuart Miles might have even had a run at it. I'm pretty sure he did. And alongside those, you had Jamie Theakston from the ozone who was kind of the underdog at that stage because tim vincent was 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 the big big favorite um and jamie just nailed it apparently the audition just just flew and him and zoe got on so well and and i was there when it when he got the job the weird thing is the day i left we went out we all went out the children's bbc team all went out for a meal because it was my last day in the evening we all went out and that was the day that jamie was offered the job so we had this really weird evening out where i was leaving and jamie was about to be the guy who was up against me on a saturday morning um so that's how that happened that's how that happened and i ended up being the saturday morning guy on the other side on a, a an amazing show such a funny and and kind of groundbreaking show but short-lived itv axed it after 16 weeks because they couldn't afford it they put all their money into formula one and they suddenly dropped all their live kids tv it was a turbulent time so um it, it was fond memories for me but just a bit short-lived did you regret jumping ship or do you not mind that jamie got the gig and you had the the, the short-lived time on wow oh that's a good question i I regretted it in the short term. When WOW got cancelled, I regretted it. Yeah, I really did. Because, you know, 
I, I felt like I'd sort of been a little bit hung out to dry because I'd made this commitment to ITV and then they, you know, they very quickly just, you know, pulled it. I did get other shows, uh, you know, I did I did get offered other shows. I did get wet for, for ITV, which was made by by um, Scottish television. And that was fun. That was a really good show. Um, yeah. So there were regrets because I think if I'd been in the mix, I think I would have been a contender. But there's no guarantee of that. You know, Jamie, you know, Jamie was he was obviously the the right guy in that moment. I knew Zoe, but I wasn't mates with Zoe. You know, I'd only worked with her for, you know, the the barest amount of time because I joined Children's BBC as she was leaving. So there's, there's no guarantee I would have got that job at all. So you can't look back and think it would have been mine. But I remember at the time feeling a little bit sore about it. But then, of course, with the passage of time, I, I, I got loads of other opportunities through the people I met working in, in independent produ- production companies at ITV, people I would never have met. So it kind of, it, it all pans out in the end. Definitely. And um, one thing I have got to ask, um, with working on WoW, I'm a Doctor Who fan. What was it like working with Sophie Aldred? Ah, oh, Sophie. I haven't seen her for absolutely years. It was fun. Yeah, she was kind of confirmed early on on that show. Um, so I wasn't kind of auditioning partners in the same way Zoe had on the other side. They already wanted her and had secured her for it. And I was kind of the, 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 the kind of safe pair of hands presenter that they were looking for to front it because she'd never really presented anything. She'd done like a preschool show. I think she'd also acted on Zap, which was yes, media, which was my all time favorite program growing up. So oh, right, there you go. So. <laughs> So you, so she was familiar to younger kids, but but not to kind of that Saturday morning audience. And she was a delight. She was really lovely to work with. The interesting thing about working with Sophie was she was an actor, not a presenter. So she struggled. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying to adapt to the idea of just winging it. So you, you know, the camera turns on, you're live to the nation and you've got two minutes you know basically what you're going to say and you know basically what's coming next she was really you know that for her that was a new thing to deal with and so uh, there was there was a, a fair amount of uh, of me kind of encourage you know sort of encouraging her and saying yeah it's all right it's cool it's, it's good just you know don't worry about it because she was used to a script you know she was used to having the words written for her and 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 delivering them so it was a real big stretch for her much more than it was for me i was kind of like a kid in a playground i'd been given a whole big show to play with and was having a ball whereas i think she felt much more pressure to try and do it right because for her it felt like a new job so there was a bit of a you know, different dynamic but i think it worked the two of us it sort of balanced out and you mentioned it just as well. Um, after WOW, you presented a, a children's game show called Get Wet, which I do remember. And uh, I do have two questions. Number one, what was it like hosting a children's game show? And secondly, where was it filmed? Because that was an impressive set. <laughs> oh, it's fun. I mean, kids' game shows are brilliant. It was actually designed to be the follow-up to Funhouse, which was such an established show that Pat Sharp used to present. And ITV wanted kind of the next fun house and Get Wet was was basically designed to be that. It didn't run for as long. I think we ran for three series. Um, but the 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 set was a triumph, wasn't it? It was so hard to find a location where you could build a pirate ship in a swimming pool that would allow 
contestants to scuba dive under the pirate ship and look for treasure, which was the ultimate aim of this game show we had. So it was a water-based game show where kids had to answer questions, but then do, you know, very, very kind of challenging obstacle courses, but across water. So there was a lot of swimming and jumping and splashing involved. And the final end game involved genuinely having to scuba dive. So these kids had to learn how to scuba dive, which was such an ambitious idea in a show. But the funny thing is, all of the really nice, modern, stylish swimming pools that the set designers went and looked at couldn't accommodate the pirate ship. the, the, The pool wasn't big enough. The only swimming pool they could find where they were, they could build this set that was really ambitious and underwater and everything was in a really old 1960s bog standard swimming pool in a part of Glasgow called Drum Chapel. Now, Drum Chapel, very nice part of Glasgow. I'm sure the people who come from there are very proud of it. But it's also a very poor part of Glasgow. And the funny thing was, every day I would get in a taxi and say to the taxi driver, Drum Chapel swimming baths, please. And the taxi driver would turn around and look at me and go, really? (laughs) Drum Chapel? Uh, Yeah, you sure? I'd go, yeah, really, honestly. And they would drive me into into the rough end of Drum Chapel and drop me off outside the swimming baths thinking, what is this guy doing at Drum Chapel Baths? Because it just looked so kind of decrepit from the outside. But, you know, the magic of television. It looked great on screen, right? It did. It did. It did look really good. It looked very modern on the inside. <laughs> oh, but it was a great programme, a great programme, and one that I do remember. Um, so following on from your kids' TV career, I mean, you've, you've done other bits of TV and radio down the years, haven't you? Yeah, I've done lo- I've obviously loads. I've I've done radio throughout all of this. So even throughout that time, I was doing bits of radio. I then went and did some radio for BFBS, the Forces Radio Station, and did a, a national breakfast show for them, and and won some very nice awards, and was you know best radio personality at the New York Festival Awards. So I got quite back into radio, and then I got into comedy writing, Jack. And so I wrote comedy on Have I Got News for You for four seasons. And then I went and traveled around the world with my family and my own kids. And I wrote a comedy travel book about that called The Long and Winding Road, which won the London Book Festival in 2012 and a clutch of other international book awards. So I kind of moved a bit away from being on screen to kind of behind the screen. So, you know, writing for TV, doing more radio and then and then writing books as well, which I'm, I'm still doing now. So I'm still writing. And now I actually train other people how to present. So I'm kind of passing on my skills as well as using them. That's very kind of you. And writing's always a good thing. And it's always good to have a, a backup plan when perhaps, you know, the TV and radio is a bit quiet. Well, you can't do kids' telly forever. So no. in, I think it was in 1998 that I, I decided, oh, you know what, I, I can't really be doing this anymore. Um, I was already 28 by then. So I started at that point to to move to writing for television. I wrote TV formats actually for a long time. So yeah, you've got to, you've always got to have another plan. That's absolutely right. Definitely. And if people want to find out more about what you're up to, watch your website and your social media. The social media is the easiest way. Just find Sim Courty on Twitter, and you can find me, you know, through the old LinkedIn and see all of the kind of the back catalogue of stuff there. I'm pretty sure my website has a load of old archive stuff on it as well, which is 
simeon.tv. But the easiest way is, yeah, if you find my Twitter, I think my web address is on there. So just look for Sim Courty, spelled S-I-M-C-O-U-R-T-I-E. And, um, you know, I'd love to talk to you. So find me online and, yeah, we'll relive the good times. Definitely, like we have done today. And Simeon, it's been great chatting to you. Thank you for uh, taking part. It's been lovely to have this little wander down memory lane, Jack. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed that, there are plenty more podcast interviews available. And I'll see you next time for more nostalgic memories. Nostalgic memories.